host, Katie. And I'm Tracy. And today we are joined by our good friend, Aaron. It's Aaron, everybody. So we are Mages of the Year. You can catch up with us online. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, we also have our fancy website up, magesoftheair.com. And that is where you will find our tea, our book recommendations, a little more about us, and how to get in touch if you have ideas or things that you want to let us know. We also have a Patreon set up. Um, so if you want to throw a little bit into the tip jar, if you enjoy the show and you want to help support it, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, we do fund everything ourselves. We don't have any sponsors. If anyone's looking to put, you know, a commercial on a show and wants to sponsor us, let us know. But we do really appreciate any help you can give our way, throw our way while we're taking care of hosting the show and trying to bring you some fun and entertaining content. Before we get into our chapters, we have our tea of the episode. We are all social distancing. So we all have three different teas. Mine is Celestial Seasoning True Blueberry. And I picked it because I made blueberry kolaches today. And it just went together really nicely. I am drinking Ginger Peach Green Tea by Stosh. And I picked it because I have a box of a bunch of random teas and I reached my hand and grabbed it. So there you go. It tastes really good. It's not as heavy on the peach as I thought it would be. Lots of ginger. I like ginger here. I went. I decided to go classic and just went with a uh, Twinnings uh, Earl Grey. I would be bouncing off the walls even more than I already am. I didn't drink six cups of coffee before we recorded this time, so we're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> good. Maybe we'll get it down in time. Uh, all right. So this week we are back in Wolf Speaker, the second book of the Immortals Quartet. Uh, these are the books based on Dane, and we are in chapters five and six. Yes. Six and seven. We are in chapters six and seven. <laughs> I don't have my notebook open I, I yet. I was like, don't confuse me like that. I stress out about this. <laughs> so chapter six is titled Rebellion. Da-na-na. What happened last chapter, co-hosts? Last chapter? So Dane was like, I need to check out what's going on because she found this big like dome wall well she doesn't know it's a dome yet thing surrounding them she goes i need to go check it out so she takes a mind ride with a bat who is a very nosy bat and wants to figure out what's going on with the horok and that was interesting we find out the horrocks are slaves which is really sad and then she, dane comes back and she's got huge bat ears on her head and she's so scared that with her sensitive bat ears more mara mara is going to scream and hurt her ears that's really not she just didn't want mara to scream so she goes to bed with the covers over her head and then we wake up in chapter or not we Dane wakes up in chapter six but are they actually there are oh, they no. i don't know let's yeah, talk about right. chapter six huh all right chapter six rebellion so Dana wakes slowly and she had been dreaming about being a bat and she wakes up and feels and she does not have bat ears. Yeah. So that's she, the relief. <clears throat> she thinks she's deaf, which I thought was kind of cool. It's like her hearing went down so bad. She's like, oh, I'm deaf. Which I didn't. I know this is this is going to sound real stupid. I didn't realize bats could hear that well. Like, I know they have the echolocation and stuff like that. But I mean, I thought dolphins it's like a front lobe thing like they pick it up off their front lobe it's not actually an ear thing so i kind of thought it was the same concept well dolphins have the benefit of having a light slightly thicker medium that their the sound waves bounce through well aren't you smart aaron no <laughs> and bats have really big ears <laughs> true bats are so cute 
they are. I love bats so much. Don't eat them, guys. Um, <laughs> I do like that Mara has made tea for Dame. I think that's so sweet. She's like, I'm being a burden. I'm 10. I know how to make tea. I like that the wolves, sorry, I like that the wolves went and got like honey and stuff like that for him too. I thought that was really cute, and they get to have honey with their porridge. I put in my notes, I was like, Mara and Kit rummage through Dane's things for food. <laughs> that was my notes. <laughs> the, the, the wolves finding honey is another really weird thing. Wolves will eat honey if they find it. Will they? And they can get to it without getting stung. They're omnivores. Ah. They're like bears. But they brought it. Well, no, I guess that makes sense. That's their den, so yeah, they'd bring it back. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Okay. I mean, just, it's, they probably would just have eaten it there and not brought it back for Kitten and Mara. But also, they probably, I don't know if they would mess with it depending on the bees, but they've got really thick pelts. So I don't know if the bees things could get through. We'll look it up. We'll get a wolf expert. Hopefully. Hopefully, we will have an interview with a wolf expert because I'm trying, I'm trying real hard. <laughs> All right. So Dane asked the first question that comes to her mind, what she should have asked yesterday. Why did you run away, Mara? And Mara makes up excuses. She's like, uh, no reason. Hey, <laughs> what if Yolaine wants to send me to school to be a lady and I want to be a knight? And Dane is like, um, I don't think you're going to be a knight. You scream, you scream a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, she could totally overcome that if she wanted to. And then, you know, like be good to go on all that. Because we see knights do that. So I wrote in my notes. Dane says running away isn't for funsies, and Mara is lucky to have a home. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I thought funsies was a good word there. but I wasn't expecting it when I read it. I was like, what? <laughs> it's not just for fun. Um, so, I don't know. Everyone has run away from home at some point. We're like, I'm running away! And they stick a peanut butter and jelly in a backpack and march down the street and then come back an hour later. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, and I like that Dane makes her have, a, like, she was like, no, like, you need to have a legitimate excuse. Like, she kind of adults up on her and she goes, well, what is your real reason? You know? And then Mara explains that she has to see the king. And then Dane says, well, we know about Tristan. It's okay. We've got it handled. And Numair's gone for the king. And then there's a surprising sound. And Mara's like, is that all you know about Tristan? So we're like, oh, there's more. And Dane is like, yeah, he brought over the immortals. And then we hear, for which I am grateful, a whispery voice said from the entrance. Who was surprised that Taka could talk? Aaron, were you surprised that Taka could talk? No. How, uh, even as he, as he explained in the book, he knows and can speak all languages. He's already said that. Yeah. Dane clearly forgot. Mm-hmm. I like his next sentence, the uh, sassy Taka. I love him. She goes, she says her, like, Mithros, Minos, and Shaketh. I don't know what to say. And Taka's like, then say nothing. That is best. <laughs> I, I absolutely that love too. it. I might need to incorporate that into my classroom. Right? <laughs> if you don't know what to say, then say nothing, because that is best. <laughs> We're going to turn your classroom into nothing but, like, Tamara Pierce, Tamara quotes. Pierce quotes. People are going to come in and get sorted into some like thief. They have to wear a badge. <laughs> we have duels for extra points on, on papers. Chair duels. It's a thing. I think we've all done that. Rolling chair duels. Yep. 
Yep. Kids do that in the halls during lunch. I normally am the one going like, stop that! Stop it! You're gonna get hurt! So, as Saka is trying to talk, and Mara's like, we need to plan for the future. We have to do laundry, and we can't eat Dane's food. I love that her first thought is laundry. Like, that would be my first thought. I would like some clean clothes, please. Well, because, I mean... I mean, like, realistically, they've got some of Dane's food, right? So they have, like, a little bit of that. So they can put off on finding food immediately. They already have dirty clothes. So they have to get that taken care of first. But I like how this gets interrupted by the giant tolling bell noise that drives everybody crazy and no one likes it. (laughs) I imagine it sounds like if you stuck your head in one of those church bells and then hit it with a mallet. Mm -hmm. That's That's what's happening. That was definitely what I was thinking. Yeah, like uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame bells. Sorry, we were giving yeah. you a second. Yeah, like the, the Notre Dame bells. And Dane Dane being Dane and Taka being Taka have to go look and figure out what it is. And <laughs> they make it to like near, near the wall. And I am going to screw up this name so bad. Uh, Dane finds a marmot. Is that what they're called? A marmot. And she gets into... She mind rides or mind melds with the marmot and she's like, what is going on? And this little cheeky marmot (laughs) is the best way I can say this is so frustrated. And she's like, I'm going to bite him if he does it again. (laughs) The marmot's using words that she must have learned from squirrels because marmots don't know those words. Yes. That's so cute. Have you ever looked up a marmot? They're like fat ground squirrels. No. (laughs) They're very cute. (laughs) videos i've seen of marmots they're very uh cheeky to to use tracy's word (laughs) they're very cheeky in and of themselves i always imagined like um chipmunks like something between a chipmunk and a prairie dog was what i was picturing in my head squirrel prairie dog squirrel prairie dog so they got longer tails yeah they're not super fluffy though but Mm -hmm. they're faced very squirrel faced but they're fat. I'll have to look into this. I was terrible on my research this week. I did not look into marmots. Oh my gosh. That's a marmot? (laughs) Yes, that is a marmot. That's a demon. (laughs) For people who can't see, there's a chat. And we got... just posted a gif of of a screaming marmot. marmot. Yeah. It's a demon. (laughs) I mean, if that thing was going to bite me, I would probably stop hurling magical bolts at a giant wall too. Well, he doesn't know that it's going to bite him because what's the first thing he does is he throws another magical bolt at the wall again. And Dane's like, it's Numer! <laughs> and goes back into her own body and is like, Taka, you need to go talk to Numer. And yeah, what, it like jolts her out of her out of her riding with the marmot. Mm-hmm. I, and then I love, a mortal is doing that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Numer's first reaction to seeing this basilisk to oh, hurl another yeah. fireball. Yeah. We'll get to that in a second. That was the um, best part, though. <laughs> I know. So she she's going to cross over and tell Numer to stop. And then she's like, wait, I have more things. And Taka's like, I'm going to go tell him to stop. And I will be back in a minute. Think of things while I go- I'm gone. <laughs> so And so she's like, oh, actually, if you can go through, then Stormwings can go through. Which was our question from last week. Yeah, it was. So that answers that. I remember thinking that when I was reading and going, oh, hey, there's our answer. (laughs) So Dane goes back for her writing case. And as she's going back, she hears Mara going like, please just go away. And Dane is like, she's in trouble. I'm going to shoot something with my bow. 
y'all, we really got to start doing video because I'm like acting it out over here. <laughs> we um, need to get you a crossbow. Yeah, right. Caitlin that does not need good. a crossbow. <laughs> so, and then <laughs> Dane walks into the clearing and Mara's just on speaking terms with a bunch of storm wings. I do not need a crossbow. You are not wrong. Um, so storm wings and the Dane, storm wings and the Dane. Dane and the storm wings are going to bicker for a moment. And then as Rick Ash, we found out that his name is Rick Ash, he steps closer and Cloud considers fighting him. And, and he like, is afraid. <laughs> Dane is like, hey, be careful. The feathers are sharp. And Cloud says, don't teach your damn how to nurse a foal. He's like, I know how to bite people, Dane. I'm good at it. <laughs> <laughs> so th- this, this is something that, that Rick Ash said that I'm kind of stuck on. He says she's too quick for a human and then immediately says that she comes from a race that spends more time murdering her own kind than do all the mortals, immortals put together. So he knows something about her that I don't think she's fully put together yet. He says you're quick to judge us, Stormwing Killer, too quick for a human when humans are the ones who kill each other all the time. So. But, and and, and here's that. Right, here, here, and here's the, the part that I'm, I'm stuck on. He says, you come from a race that spends more time murdering your own kind than do all the immortals put together. So reading that, it kind of sounds like he's saying there's more to her than human. Which we kind uh, of see if I'm a reader perspective. I read that as humans spend a lot of time murdering each other and they kill more of each other than immortals kill humans. And so humans shouldn't be judging immortals for killing or being killers. Well, yeah, and okay. I think, like, she's, they're referring to, like, that human on, like Katie was saying, like, that human on human violence. And even to the point of saying, like, immortals don't really, like, attack or kill each other and things like that. Because theoretically, they could starve themselves and, you know, never have to. I mean, Takai eats rocks, <laughs> you know? Right, they won't die from hunger or from illness. They only die from being slain. Mm-hmm. And it's... Okay. Yeah, that was kind of the way I took it when I read it. Which, mm-hmm. and I mean, if we if we look back, we did discuss, um, you weren't here to join us, but in book one, that Stormwings traditionally, at least how they're described here, were the carrion birds of the battlefields, of human right. battlefields. They were the predators of the humans, basically, in the essence of they ate their dead bodies. Made war less glorious. Okay. That's where they come from. So that's how I saw that. But, you know, put a pin in that thought, Aaron. We may come back around to it. Yeah, Dane is being judgy. The Stormwings tell her she's too quick to judge. We're getting that theme throughout that Dane shouldn't be so judgy of the Stormwings. Which this is the third time because she gets told by Numere, she gets told by Cloud, and now she's getting told by a Stormwing that she is being judgy, right? Yeah, at least the third. Yeah, at least the third. Rick Ash turns and he's like, Mara, you need to come home. Come home before Yolaine notices you're gone. And Mara's like, I was gone overnight. She didn't notice I'm gone. Nobody cares. Okay, Rick Ash, nobody cares. That's not and true. Was- the the cook yeah. and the her the nurse. I know. Her cook and her nurse are frantic, but her own sister doesn't know she's gone. Ugh. Yolaine sucks. Her own sister is a frost fur. <laughs> worse than Frostfur. Frostfur would at least know where the other wolves had gone. True. <laughs> Mara, though. I left them notes. I told them not to worry. Yeah. That never works. Yeah, it was like, that sounds know. like something a 10-year-old would say. 
And then I love Dana's like, she realizes there's something odd between these two. Mara addressed Rick Ash as she might an older brother or an uncle. And the word I wrote here is he's a vuncular. Yeah. The word for the week. It means like a friendly uncle. Yeah. I used that for Numair last book. I was going to say you did use it before, but still, I think that's a very good word because this actually came up in a conversation where I was talking about an old college project I had describing how the man, a woman, it was an older gentleman um, that the woman loved. It was a vuncular re- like relationship and I sounded smart. It was great. <laughs> yeah, guys, it makes you sound smart. <laughs> All right. And so as they're watching, Dana's like, Stormwings are evil. They're monsters. And what? They can't help how they're made, Dane. And so that again, sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to argue with the Stormwings for a while. And then the Stormwings are like, all right, Mara, I guess we can't make you do anything. And Dane is like, yeah, I keep trying. You try now. And they're like, well, we can take Dane back. She's wanted. And I love this bit. Dane has been calling a bunch of starlings from around, and she's got like 150 starlings. And she's like, mm-hmm, you try that. Try to take me back, Rick Ash. See what happens. And all the starlings start clamoring, and the Stormwings start getting jittery because they're like, oh, they're going to rip our eyes out. Which, I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I forgot how much I liked Rick Ash. I know. And I was like, oh, that's right. Because I knew there was a Stormwing I liked, but I couldn't remember who it was. I do like, too, he explains a little bit about Stormwings and why he's being so nice to Mara. Mm-hmm. He says, we value others young, particularly when they are neglected. Affection has led me to indulge Lady Mara more than is wise because it's hard for Stormwings to bear young. Yeah, which so I like. a nice humanizing bit. Yeah, and I was going to say, it to me, it really showed, it's humanizing, but it shows that they honestly do value life. You know, they probably, in my opinion, value life more than the humans they look at do. Because they don't kill their own, like, you know. And they care about kids from other species, too. Mm-hmm. Which I thought and that was a really big deal, so. I'm happy you pointed purpose, it out. <laughs> their purpose is, arguably, to keep humans from fighting. Yeah. So Mara's just completely refusing to go back. The Stormwings clamor, the, the Starlings clamor, and the Stormwings fly off. And uh, Mara's worried about Numair, but Dane isn't. Because moments later, the Stormwings fly back. They heard a thunderclap, and they fly back with their eyes streaming and reeking of onions. We learned a while ago that Stormwings don't like onions. <laughs> Does Numair just have an onion spell? I would think, I mean, it's new mare. I would think so, yeah. (laughs) They have something they can throw that just launches a bunch of onion powder, because they're soot, too. Yeah. It's like an onion bomb. (laughs) So if storm wings are ever a thing, throw onions at them. That works for a surprising amount of animals. Onions are poisonous to most animals, but humans, you can plant them in your garden as a border, and they help keep pests out. I wonder, you can do the same thing with garlic. Uh, Growing up, we planted garlic all around our trees, and we've never had any issues with pests or anything. Fun fact, garlic is not supposed to come back, but you know what? Ours does. (laughs) It comes back every year. I'm going to share that with my husband, because we need something around our peach tree and stuff. Hmm? Garlic. We have have an onion border. We're going to do a mint in our back, like behind our fence, to keep out pests that way, too. Nice. Fresh mint tea. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'd be good. Sweet tea with mint. 
or mint limeades, like Disney World's. They're mint juleps, mint just juice. add some gin to it. <laughs> well, if you're doing the Disney World one, you can't add the gin, <laughs> but it's still delicious. Okay, you can't legally add the gin. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> Stormwings fly overhead, and then Tane goes, I can't believe you like them. And Mara goes, I can't believe you like wolves, which is great. So she grabs her writing stuff. Mara explains about the entire re- plan, and it's a rebellion. Da-na-na. I feel like that's where the title of the chapter came from. No way! What? <laughs> <laughs> so, it's just... Oh, they're so skeevy. They're so... Blech. I hate this. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, hard, and- especially, like, if you've read... You know John. Like, if you've read the Alana series, you know John. And the fact that they're doing something... Sorry, Aaron. The fact that they're doing something against John is very hard to, like, deal with right now. <laughs> Mara's revealing the rebellion. And she also explains there's no strongly gifted people in the village. They all leave and go... They go get trained and they never come back. So it's kind of that, like, doctor flight that we see now. Um, And I feel like that's important. I don't know why, but I just feel like it's important to know that there's no one in the valley with a very strong gift. People can light fires, and that's about the, the max of it. So Dane writes everything out for Numair. Taka takes it back through. Numair explains he's going to need help to break the spell that's over the barrier. And now we find out what happened when Taka went through the first time. It's okay. We don't need to... Fireball. Turn to stone. Breaks out of the stone. Turns back to stone. Requests it that time. Well, he requests it and Takah says mm, later. <laughs> so Takah goes through the barrier and Numer throws a fireball at him. Takah, feeling attacked, sings the stone spell and turns Numer to stone. And he seems embarrassed about this when he's talking to Dane. And at first you're like, oh, he's embarrassed. He attacked Numer. And you're like, no, he's embarrassed because Numer breaks the spell. To cause like it wasn't my best work. <laughs> <laughs> so Numer breaks the spell, and then Numer's like, "Let's do that again. I want to see if I can break it again." And to cause like, I have really important information. Let's wait, and we will study this when we have time to do it properly. I love Dane is like, "That's brilliant, to cause." <laughs> like it also works on dragons, <laughs> but you're I not love- wrong. I love to We're like, I have this very interesting theory. I need to try it out. I need to debate it with someone. Oh, we really need to wait until we have enough time to discuss it. Oh, you're right. What were you saying about your cat? (laughs) (laughs) As an academic, I can attest to the fact that this is the perfect way to set me off of something. Oh, we don't have time to do it right right now. We'll get there. Hey, I learned something about Katie today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> other than the fact that i get really hyper when it's an hour after my kid's gone to bed <laughs> yeah and then dane is like all right i have this big long note for him and Taka goes to become a messenger at my age and Taka dane says she's very thankful for his help and he says actually it is i who must thank you and 400 years in the divine realm i have not enjoyed myself as much as i have in the last two days life is more vivid here much headier and i thought that was interesting like Life is real where the people are. That's where the life is. 
I have to I have to think of it kind of like the elves from Lord of the Rings. Like when they're going through their time of peace, I relate everything back to Lord of the Rings or Jurassic Park, one of the two. When they're going through their time of peace, I mean, honestly, like what do they do? They read books, they play chess, they don't actually like do anything, I guess is the way to kind of look at it. And then when orc attack starts and whatnot, then they go out and they do that. But even then for the people that aren't warriors, they're still just kind of like, ah, eh. like there's that boredom in it you know well it's very interesting because in a lot of religions the the afterlife is the i don't know it goes one of two ways one where it's like a shadow of the real world and it's all shades and gray and that's what you get with like the greek stuff Mm -hmm. but then if you read like lewis or some of the more modern writers the afterlife heaven is this more vivid like earth is the shadowy place and the heaven is the real place and everything here is just a taste of what life will be like afterwards but for the immortals it's reversed like where the mortals are is where it's real and where it's active instead and like where the gods are it's kind of stagnant there's not a lot going on because the gods don't change the i mean the the immortals like the lesser immortals were trapped in the immortal realm by man so they they obviously like in my opinion they don't necessarily belong in the immortal realm like, it was probably a place they could have gone back and forth for, but like we see with the Stormwings, they're physically made to kind of be a counterpoint to man, you know? So that, to me, just kind of says, it's like, nah, they don't necessarily belong there. Right, and they need humans. They need humans to be alive, to be, like, to give them purpose. Humans, humans need purpose. The immortals need purpose. They are not gods whose purpose is to oversee the creation, which is what, you know, old white and night black do. So, so some, something about Stormwings that, that I've been thinking about since starting this book specifically is they keep saying that Stormwings are these evil creatures because they're, they eat carrion. But it's normally carrion eaters aren't going out and murdering things. They're eating the leftovers, which means they're there to clean up the battlefields that men have wrought. So they're That's not... Rick yeah. was making earlier. They're not inherently evil. We make them out as such because they point out our the, the, the humans' wrongs, essentially. Yeah, and I wonder how much, like... And we still have this stigma about it today, like people that deal with the dead and anything that's kind of surrounded by the dead. We... How much... But for that, you know, and I'm saying time period, like loosely, I have quotation marks that the audience obviously can't see, where it's dealing with dead bodies and, you know, you didn't do autopsies because you were considered a witch or whatever. You didn't, you know, deal with the dead. You wrapped them up. You did last through like the rituals and you burned them. That was that was it. And so I think because of that, because they have the stigma around it and this, what's it called? I want to say voodoo, but that's not it. Things that are considered bad because that's what they are. I can't. Taboo? Taboo. Yeah. Because it's taboo that men, humans, consider them evil like that, like what you were saying. Right. Well, and they also remove the glory of war and they... They remove the ability to bury someone or burn someone honorably. So they don't just eat the body. Like, they play with them. They rip them apart. So that means that those, like, you can't go retrieve your dead from the battlefield. And in medieval medieval times, battlefields were, I mean, they were gross and nasty and terrible places, but more people were maimed than actually killed on the battlefield. But if stormings are coming, they're probably going to kill people who maybe would have survived. We don't really know. 
um, or maybe died of gangrene two weeks later. But not many people actually died on the battlefield. So so armies could go retrieve their dead after the battle, and they would. They'd go get their dead, and then they'd take them back and bury them, or they'd burn them. So Stormwings don't let them do that. Right, but, like, yeah, so they are playing with the dead things. They are gross and nasty and scary because they are the predators of humans, but they're preying on those who are already casualties of war and potentially dying on the battlefield. Yeah, right. And lo- looking at it from from a human perspective, absolutely, they're they're evil and they're they're like you said, they're they're they might finish off those we could save or those we could honor, but at the same time, if you look at it from uh, the perspective of the people, they're part of the circle of life. This is just something that happens. They're no different than vultures, or right. you know, yeah. So, and I, Dane is being reminded of that pretty constantly in this book which i uh, was gonna say i feel like that's a good setup for things that like story that's yet to come kind of deal yeah yeah she does good world building and good plot plot developing like these are some of the best crafted books i've read in a long time um i read a lot a lot a lot a lot and i pay a lot of attention to craft and Again, Tamara Pierce never disappoints me on the craft level. I don't read them and go, oh, that was silly, like I do when I read Twilight now. <laughs> I read, I, re- I read a lot of not great stuff and um, like, like 150 pages of what did I just read? Where I sit there and I'm like, where did this character come from? <laughs> and so, and yeah, I'm reading to Tamara Pierce again has been very nice. <laughs> She she does a great job at showing the world and not just telling you about it, mm-hmm. which which to me helps solidify the world building that is there a little bit better because I'm not she's not saying the grass is green she's showing it to you in different forms and from the character's perspective. Yeah, and this to me is like sorry, Katie. This to me is like I've been watching prop collectors or prop masters on Disney Plus and they just I just watched the one where they go over the line the witch in the wardrobe and I don't if you guys have ever read it, I'm sure Katie has. There's so much detail and there's so much world building and there's so much like meat in that that when they made the TV show or not the TV show, the movie, they had all of that meat to kind of dig into and put the details in it and make it what it was. And I feel like this is the same way. Like if they turn it into a TV show or please a TV show or a movie (laughs) that they have that meat, they have no reason not to put in the detail, not to put in the horses, not, you know, they have absolutely no reason because she gives it to you. She doesn't really like she, yes, she leaves it up to imagination, but at the same time, she really doesn't, you know? Well, and it's nice because it's also, not so cinematic that you start getting gaps like Mm -hmm. i felt like with the third hunger games you start losing bits of the story and it becomes difficult to follow because it's very much written from the point of view for someone who writes for tv yes and they're leaving a lot of openings for people to fill in the gaps yes i will 100 percent agree you when you read that book it's written like somebody who's writing for film and tammy does a good job of giving you enough to build it in your head but she doesn't think her audience is stupid Mm-hmm. Like she trusts her audience. She gives them what they need to build the world, but she also gives enough detail that you can build this rich world. And what you imagine and what I imagine are going to be very, very similar versus the last book of Hunger Games because I have no idea what was going on in that movie. Accurate. <laughs> I have no idea. I remember the All end. Right. Uh, so Taka goes through to deliver the message, and Dane decides she's going along as Quick Munch, our friendly little marmot 
also great great name for a marmite quick munch i feel like that's what Uh, my name needs to be quick munch with as fast as i eat (laughs) (laughs) so they go through and quick munch is like i will bite him though i will just watch me and dane is like he doesn't need to be rude quick munch and quick munch is like "Mm." so they run through and uh, or they run over to new and he's like is that dane and dane nods through them through the little marmot and so we get an exchange of information here um we know that reinforcements are coming which includes two rider groups that's 40 people a company of the king's own that's 100 people the sixth writer group, that's 20 more people, and then mages from the City of Gods and the Royal University, as well as King Jonathan. So lots of people are coming just because Numera said, hey guys, you should come. Um, that's at least 160 fighters and then mages as well. But it's going to take up to a week for the mages. And Dane is like, we don't have a week. We do not have much time at all. They're concerned, especially because Tristan's so nasty. And then Numera says, I can't do anything else. I can't break it. Even with a properly used word of power, I don't know if I could do anything. And Taka's like, what do you mean properly used word of power? And Numer explains, if a word of power is used improperly, it will backfire and kill the caster. Part of why there are so few of Numer's rank. I thought that was interesting. Because it implies that he had to use a word of power to gain his rank. So he's used it before. I just, I like all the esoteric details i feel like that's i feel like that's a little ridiculous like you have to do this thing that could be really potentially deadly to get your phd to get your phd and not that it's gonna kill you potentially deadly but that you could kill a whole bunch of other people potentially deadly is not a great idea you can do something like summon a loaf of bread or turn a rock into a loaf of bread. And then at that chance, it's probably not going to kill someone because it's just going to turn a loaf of bread into a rock somewhere else. But it uses so much power. It leaves you weak and sick for days. I don't I don't know if he explained that in this book or the earlier one. I know he talks about, he goes, I could turn a rock into a loaf of bread and then eat it, but then I'd be sick for days. I know that happened in the last book. Okay, yeah. So yeah. we know words of power can be used for mundane things that wouldn't create an earthquake. But he's saying, if I shattered this dome, it might make an earthquake somewhere else because of the where I'd have to draw the power from. So, and, and he doesn't know what would happen. Like, the rock, at least, he would know somewhere else, someone's now got a rock for dinner. Hopefully <laughs> it's someone who can afford it. But he doesn't know where it happens with a with this dome with the magnitude of this the backlash could be so many different things so in the new mirror quickly changes the subject like hey dane how's the how's the riding along going and she's like it's fine it's fine i'm much more worried about this this stuff and new like how are your studies well it's not like <laughs> she can say a lot anyway true true <laughs> um so new asked dane to get more details and to ride with the animals to get it, and Dane agrees, and then Quick Munch heads out. And there's a really, really cute moment where Quick Dane is like, Numer needs the food, I can hunt. And Quick Munch is like, I know where there's some really good roots. And Dane's like, no, you eat the roots. And Quick Munch says, now you sound like people. <laughs> I like that. Mm-hmm. I also love that Quick Munch is getting all into nonverbal communication. She's like, I like this nodding and the tail flip thing. This is great. <laughs> I this know. This makes me be even more sassy. <laughs> and then Dane 
returns to herself, and she has a nose, right? Yeah, oh. she's got a nose and whiskers. <laughs> Oh. You did the teacher thing where I'm like, wait, did I answer this correctly or did I not? <laughs> Sorry. No, I it's so like good. No. Uh, I, I did not take notes. Hold on. <laughs> I did not take notes. So I'm going she, off of what you are saying and commenting. She she not only has a nose, she has also shrunk, hasn't she? Nope. That's not happened no, yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Cut that out. Cut that out. I'm moving there. ahead. <laughs> Um, so it looks like she has on a mummer's mask. So that's a fun word, mummer. Have either of y'all heard about mummers before? Yes, I have. Yeah. Uh, it's something to do with theater. Educate us, Shakespearean person. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> um, so in this book, mummers will dress up like animals and ask Mithros, the sun god, to bring back the sun. So it's like a midwinter kind of thing. Um, so this is actually a New Year's tradition that goes back to ancient Egypt. This is older than Shakespeare, guys. Uh, so it was popular as well in medieval times, and it involves costumes and pantomimes and skits, usually around that midwinter Christmas to New Year's time, asking the sun god to return, and later it became Christianized, asking God to you know bring back the spring. Philadelphia has an annual parade that began in the 17th century with Swedish immigrants called the Mummers Parade. So every year they have this big parade on New Year's, and now I'm going to go watch that instead of whatever parades we normally watch. I don't know. And the, the costumes are fantastic. Um, and it, it's still popular in England. So mummery became really popular in the medieval period, so that leads up to Shakespeare. And so I've seen it in – there's a – princess elizabeth book the royal diaries one where she has to get a costume for the mummery at midwinter so it's still mummery is not quite as popular people don't dress up with the noses and the whiskers and go ask for the sun to come back because uh, we went through the whole scientific age of reason um, but in england they actually still do pantomimes at christmas and they're not christmas stories so i'm used to like you have christmas carol and it's a christmas charlie brown and all these cute little christmas plays going on and the states around Christmas time, but in England they do the pantomime, and it's like Cinderella, Jack and the Beanstalk. It's old stories, um, but they're really popular, and churches will put them on or local theater troops. Is it kind of like um, almost ballet esque, where they do like the Cinderella story, but there's no words? Like they kind of pantomime the entire thing. Been to one? I understand. I think there's at least a narrator. I think there are some lines, but it's much more acted out okay. than. But it's not like pretty graceful ballet. It tends to be funnier. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, because in ballet they'll do like Cinderella, but it's all told through the music. Like there's no singing, mm -hmm. there's no anything like that. Like it's just all told through the music and the way the people are acting and stuff. So, and um, there's a town in Texas where they actually have the Summer Mummers, is what it's called, and they do a show. Yeah, every um every year, and it's called the Summer Mummers. They're, obviously, they're probably not going to do it this year, but still. It's really funny. You throw popcorn at them. <laughs> that sounds like Pocket Sandwich Theater, which does, like, cheese ball melodramas, and you get popcorn that you can throw it. They Like, it's no salt, no butter, just dry, nasty popcorn that you just chuck at the stage. I like dry time. popcorn. Well, then you cannot come with me, because then you would eat all my popcorn. I would. All right. I have. <laughs> so Mara is like, you look like a mummer, and Dane says, I'm not going crazy. That's exciting. So and she's like, oh, the badger knew this would happen. Badger didn't tell us about this. 
goodness, Badger. So then Dane tries to convince Mara to go ahead and go home, but Mara argues that treason um, is against the law, and anyone that stays where there's treason can be hung for treason as well. And Dane is like, they're not going to kill a kid. And Mara says, they kill kids for stealing. I'm not going back there. I know about the treason. It's my job as a noble. And I like this because we got a discussion on what nobles are supposed to do, right? We think about this time period. We think about princesses and kings and the really rich people. And then you're like, everyone else is slumming it. Um, but nobles had a job. Their job was to protect their people, to make sure that their people were fed and clothed, even if it meant that that noble didn't actually live in a very nice house or didn't actually have very nice clothes. But then the nobles also had to like put on airs to impress the other nobles and get the king to send them money. So it was a balancing. But like if you watch Downton Abbey, they're always concerned about providing jobs for the village and providing housing for the village and making sure that the abbey pays enough to continue to pay the people who work there. And so it's interesting, like nobles are not just sitting on some little gilded throne enjoying all their fancy stuff. A real noble should be taking care of their people first and foremost. And Yolaine is got not at all interested in doing that. But I like I like how Mara is. And she has these ideas and she's like, no, I want to do this. I want, you know, our people, the valley, it all needs to be taken care of. And I think that's awesome, especially to see it in somebody so young. Yeah, Mora seems more like a noble than Yolaine. Yolaine wants the, the all the power without the responsibility. But Mora, at 10 years old, already understands the responsibilities. Oh, just talking about Mara's speech about some things have changed, but not chivalry and the nobles' duties. And that's what makes me mad. Yolaine was raised the same as me. She knows what's right and wrong, but she doesn't care. By law, Dunlap can be plowed up and sown with salt and our people made to leave. But does she care? No. She'd rather risk lives and our home so she can wear a crown and order people around. She is not, I was going to say something else, then I was like, I can't say that because this is a <laughs> clean podcast. She's a jerk. We'll just go with that. <laughs> she's, she's a frostfur. She's a frostfur. Frostfur's <laughs> being a jerk. Frostfur's looking out for her pack. She says, this got the pack hurt last time. What are we going to do? Are we going to let the pack get hurt again? Because last time they killed Rattail. They killed another dog. Uh, they killed Frostfur's sister and, and all the pups. Yeah. Yeah. So Frostfur is right to be afraid. She's not right to try to boss Dane around. But again, she's bossing Dane around to get food for the pack. It's not a, I just want to tell people what to do, even if she goes about taking care of the pack in the meanest way possible yeah and i mean she does bring up some points where she's like like when earlier in the book when she says you know look what you've done to all of this but saying that she is still a frost fur without um <laughs> she, this is just going to be the new thing <laughs> she is still a frost fur when she doesn't need to be and i'm not even talking about when she's trying to dominate dane just the way she's talking to her the way she's belittling her and things like that again she because Brokefang gets his point across without doing it, and a lot of the other wolves do too, without ever being a frostfur. I just want a shirt now that says "Don't be a frostfur." <laughs> we're using frostfur more euphemistically than I was. Hi, my name's Marine. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's what we meant every time we would say frostfur. <laughs> She's being a frostfur. Yeah, I got it now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so Dane is gonna hunt and fish and get stuff ready for Mara. Because Dane's going on a mission. She's got to go count the soldiers. And so when she gets back from hunting, she finds Takah. 
And Takah says he's going to stay here with Lady Mara because the wolves still make her nervous. And they're like, hey, by the way, where are the wolves? Because we haven't seen them all chapter. And Jay's like, I guess they're hunting. And then we get a fun bit with Takah as Dane is dishing out food. He he reaches into a pouch in the skin of his belly. And Dane's like, you have a pouch? And he's like, I do have a pouch. Here's the pouch. And he pulls out rocks. <laughs> And he's going to eat them. This was really uh, cute. Is this the part? Mara tries to give him candy and he's like, I'll keep my own candy, but thank you. <laughs> he's eating he's eating rocks for dessert. And Mara's like, my candy. It's so cute. Yes. And this is important, though, because we find out that the stone he's picked up from the cave is... Black, Black opal. opal. Black opal, yeah. da da And I messaged y'all a theory about this earlier today. I, know, I I was like, no, you have to wait and say it on the show. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was too much of a spoiler to say or not, but the the it kind of dawned on me that the the entire this entire valley is like obscured from like scrying type magics, and it dawned on me that if there's that much black opal that they're mining for it, and um, again, because there used to be opal mines that are tapped out, right, but. Takah can go find it. An earthquake uh, or an avalanche revealed more. The entire valley could be littered with this black opal, which has kind of absorbed all of the magic from the school and is just slowly releasing it into the world, which would obscure scrying magic because there's just this layer of magic. So there's a they, lot of black opal potentially. They do say that there's like a 500 mile radius around the city of the gods where you can't see. So I don't know if there's opal throughout that. That's part of what's boosting it. Or if Dunlath maybe is getting boosted by the opal as well as whatever spell that they have done to yeah. hide it now. The belt, the dome. I always just took it. Sorry. I always just took it as it kind of just naturally seeped into everything, which might be a question on how did the black opal develop anyways? Does the black opal develop by like magically enriched areas? Or, you know what I mean? So it's because of the, the City of the Gods, that's what it's called. Because of the City of the Gods, the Black Opal developed, and then it just kind of fed off of each other, one and another. Because they've had it, and they said the mines were tapped out. So very possibly, like, it could have just re... Because it's magic. Who knows what happens on magic? I kind of just took it as, like, the City of the Gods slowly leeches out, you know, magic, and it just it gets absorbed into the ground around it. Just, like, like there's a and lot of... From there opal black opal or just regular opals just kind of develop because magic yeah and i mean we see that happen all the time with buildings like especially back in the day the way hazardous buildings and stuff like that used to work it's even if they weren't necessarily like getting rid of stuff around them hazardous materials was still leaking from the facility into the ground because of where they were like radiation that's kind of the same concept it's radiation but it's magic at least that's the way i thought about it good that makes sense good radiation yeah <laughs> Now, if unless, it magically created black opals, that's cool, too. <laughs> unless you're uh, behind the unseen university in the disc world where there's like a magical nether and the giant trash heap beside, behind the wizard school. It's been sick. You can travel through time by jumping through different heaps of trash. <laughs> Why is the first thing that came to my mind was Thor Ragnarok? <laughs> <laughs> and their little like They're portal things. Wrong. Yeah. Be Taika reads disc world, Aaron. <laughs> That wouldn't surprise me. Taiko Atiti fan? That would totally not surprise me at all. 
All right. And Kitten does a cool trick here where she whistles and it lights up the stones the same way Taka had shown her earlier. So we see that Kitten's advancing with her own magic studies. Now she can whistle to open locks and she can whistle to light up stones. And Dane starts putting two and two together. She's like, okay, so they are mining opals. They're shipping opals to the Karthaki Emperor. And Ozorn is giving her mages gold and soldiers to rebel against King John. So this is not just a little local plot. This is going much deeper. And then Mara jumps in and she's like, oh, this is worse because it's illegal to mine precious metals or precious stones without telling the crown. And Dane's like, yep, here's why. She is very sure. We will stop then, Lady Mara. You'll see. And that is the end of chapter six. And the beginning of chapter seven. Chapter seven, counting soldiers. Basically... Dane's like, yo, I have to go count soldiers. And she says, I'm going to leave you with the wolves. And of course, Mara freaks out. And Taka's like, nah, it's all good. I, I got you. It'll be fine. So I love this. I always forget we explain things differently whenever we talk about the stories. And the wolves come back. I love that. The pack brought back provisions for Mara and Dane because they realize they're going to run through Dane's food. Which is super sweet. And I love this description of it because each wolf had a small or had something. Small bags of grain, meat, sacks of potatoes. Each pup, this is adorable, proudly carried gently and gently bore an egg in his or her mouth. And then also enthroned on Sharptooth's nose nagging the wolf to trot slower was the squirrel who i love again this is a recall to an earlier chapter when i was like what's the point in her saving a squirrel <laughs> is the squirrel that she saved earlier two chapters ago i think three chapters ago three chapters ago chapter four that's really awesome that they do that and dane's like uh yo where'd you get this stuff that's not cool and broke fang's like oh we got it from the tree cutter camp they don't need all this food that's ridiculous and dane's like they're gonna come after you. They have a cold fang. They've already sent one after you, right? And Brokefang's logic, oh, we'll just throw a rock on them that we have that's on the top of a mountain. We can push it over. It'll be fine. The rock fall. They're gonna, like, just drop a whole mountain of rocks on a cold fang. Which, my question to that is what makes them think that's going to work? Because it literally took a basilisk turning it into stone to get it to stop. Area completely in rocks. Like, that's gonna crush it to death. If it doesn't crush it to death, it's at least buried and gives them time to run. These things are rather slow. They're just, they don't stop, generally. Yeah, I just, I, I feel like that, I, these are like the velociraptors of the immortal world. Again, Jurassic Park reference. That I don't feel like they're gonna stop, honestly. Well, hopefully we don't find out. Hopefully. I, I do love that the, um, the wolves have also spoiled all the other provisions. They're like, mm -hmm. if they can't eat, they can't cut trees. Ah. Which we saw this logic in the last book. You remember at the big battle, she was like, yo, all you, all my animal friends, go do this. Go spoil all their provisions. Which is kind of interesting that Dane had to be taught that, but the wolves didn't. Just realize that. Oh, and then, it will do no good to moan. What have I done as you have been? Only Frostbur. Frostbur can be that charming, thought Dane. The Frostbur is back making her snarky comments. Mm -hmm. It's time for us to think this way. Men bully us all our lives. It's time for some revenge. And then... I think she's channeling some Taylor Swift. <laughs> her channel... Taylor Swift is Taylor channeling Swift her. Channels. Yeah. And Broke Fang's like, yeah, it's still best that we avoid the two-leggers, so let's work on that, too. And Dane turns to the squirrel. How'd you get dragged into this? And of course, Dane's advice goes awry. 
you said I should listen to non-wolf people, so I talked to them. No, no. <laughs> I swear, if I was Dan, I'd be like, no, that's not what I meant. I said listen, not talk. Those are two completely separate things. Surely listening means speaking, too, as Broke Fang retorted. <laughs> well, you know what? To some of my students, it really does. <laughs> of that uh this girl keeps calling broke fang big fellow and he goes my name is broke fang and squirrel goes and i am flicker my family is round meadow here's what we're thinking <laughs> such a squirrel this is exactly what i would imagine a squirrel to do so, so with cloud green and flicker are gonna ride south to count soldiers mm -hmm. dane asked flicker for help he's like yo if you're gonna be here you want to help me mm -hmm. he's like yeah i wrote flicker joins the party literally <laughs> <laughs> so they make it to an area where cloud can like chill out and dane can not be seen and stuff like that and i feel like this is the biggest mistake dane has ever made because she starts riding with the squirrel and the squirrel falls <laughs> and dane immediately gets pushed back into her body <laughs> and flicker is like what you said you went flying the other day this shouldn't be that scary and she's like yeah i went flying not falling and he was like it was a controlled drop Thank you. Falling with style. I'm falling with style. <laughs> Flicker Lightyear. Oh, I love all the squirrel commentary. Right? Flicker's the best. I like it. And so then Cloud. Cloud sees that Dane is back after she gets some water. And Dane's like, no, this is ridiculous. He's falling through the trees. And Cloud says, or she goes, you should try falling through the trees. And Cloud says, I don't try. That is my kind. That is why my kind has horse sense and yours does not. <laughs> Such a mare. <laughs> yes. So they get there. This is a heart-wrenching journey for Dane. And they're able to scramble up and quickly go count the soldiers. On the way, they see a storm ring roost, and that offends Flicker because he's like, "Why did you drop on my tree if you have your own roost, stupid storm rings?" Rude, so rude. rude. Yeah. Um. So, how many soldiers do we have here? There are thirty privates, three sergeants, three corporals, and one captain. So, so thirty-seven soldiers altogether. They are allowed a force of thirty armed men, according to the law. Maybe you remembered that, because I did not remember that. I looked it up. <laughs> and they've got quite a few in the uh, the castle itself already, plus another 37 just in one outpost. Hmm. So with that, Dane's like, let's go check out the letters that are on the desk, because that's not suspicious at all. And they find a letter that says, the criminal, Aram Draper, also known as, I'm going to screw up this name, Numer Solomon, Salmalin, is to Salmaline. Salmaline is to be taken alive and transported to Carthac by Stormwings. Try also to capture the young dragon. This is really sad to me. If this mortal is shipped to us, uh, is shipped to us live for inclusion in our menagerie, there will be a reward of five hundred gold thacks. That's pompous. What you named your money? Gosh. As to the dragon handler, she is not required. Kill her. That the well, he part also that... speaks. He also speaks in in the royal we as well, kind mm -hmm. of. Capitalized, capitalized royal we. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah, and the part that makes me sad isn't the kill Dane part. I love Dane, but it's not that. It's the fact, like the idea that had they gotten captured, Kit would have had to spend the rest of her life in a cage. Like that made me really sad. But she was so absorbed in reading all this. 
a Stormwing, our favorite, my favorite Stormwing, fell on or is on the window and notices a squirrel reading a letter because squirrels can totally read. And he basically sends up the call and is like, yo, we need to get the squirrel. And they go on what I would call the Little Mermaid crab hunt <laughs> for a squirrel. Literally through the kitchens and everything. And all I heard was that song from Little Mermaid the entire time I read this. <laughs> squirrel runs, late squirrel jumps. Late squirrel should not be here. I can't even make anything up, guys. I'm tired. <laughs> but that's that's what happens. Oh, and I love how they, all of the nicknames. Uh, humans to the command post. Now, ground pounders, now. It's a tree rat. These little crawlers shouldn't be able to read. Crawler, then, I'll show uh, you a crawler. Yeah. And then Finn Flicker is like, oh, the flappers. Ugh. I, it's... Rick Ash attacks with magic. Dane coaches Flicker, who wants to shout insults. But the room is too small for Rick Ash. LOL. That's what I wrote. <laughs> no, I just, the fa my favorite part is when they make it into the kitchen and everybody's like going crazy. And this, <laughs> Rick Ash is like, get the squirrel. And the chef's like, get the what? What do you want from me? <laughs> it's just the chef that runs up to this room. They don't get all the way to the kitchen. Oh, they don't? I thought they the did. Yeah, random cooks run up to the command post to see what the what the commotion is about. And they open the door, and Rick Ash is like, get the squirrel! Get the what? And the squirrel darts out. <laughs> well, I liked it in the kitchen. That was a much more entertaining <laughs> view of things. Get back, and pretty much as soon as they get out of the... As soon as they get far enough away, Jane returns to herself. And Flicker comes running up, and she's like, okay, good job, Flicker. And then she can't stand up because she has squirrel paws. And yes. And like, oh, you look better now. <laughs> your you things look more normal. Yeah, your, your parts of you almost look normal. And she's, <laughs> oh, no, that's not this part yet. <laughs> you have claws of your own. Just keep these. And Dan is like, at least I rode because I cannot walk on squirrel paws. <laughs> Which So she climbs on her saddle with claws. Squirrel paws with with bleh, with squirrel paws. I cannot speak, and I really wish I could see this. I feel like it would be hilarious. Camp out. They don't make it all the way back to the wolf's cave that night, and as they sleep, the badger comes. Okay, at what point? Where does it say that the badger shows up? Because I reread this section like four times trying to find the line "badger." Just any word that said "badger." I think he just shows up, like he leaves. It's yeah, page one seventy four. Um, well, our pages don't line up, but yeah. I'm reading everybody that I'm reading off of a Kindle, which is not my preferred way to read, but I was in a bind and had to buy it electronically. And the pages on Kindle are screwed. Like, it's impossible yeah. to, like, keep so anything. He shows up by speaking. That's, it just yeah. starts. Okay, so that so, is what happens. Yeah. yeah, when do I get my toes back, she asked Cloud. The mare liked Fog no better than her rider. I am a pony, she snapped. You'll have to ask that question of someone who understands magic. I do not. So, and that's the badger. Uh... Dane jumped and banged her head on the rock over her. How the badger had crept on her, she could not begin to guess. I see you have learned the wider application of the lesson I mentioned to you. <laughs> you could have yeah, warned me. <laughs> I thought I was losing my mind. I know, and she's such a teenager. It's pretty adorable, though. <laughs> I'm not going to say that when other people become teenagers, but yeah. <laughs> and the badger's like, don't you trust Numair? He said you're not crazy. And Dane is like, uh. And I like, we get this part where, where Dane kind of is frustrated with Numair a bit, and she's sharing that with the badger. So she's concerned. She feels like he doesn't have instincts, only things learned from books. 
And the badger asked why, and she's like, he just walked us into this pack of traitors. We shouldn't have gone to the castle. He should have been able to catch that trap. And now he got stuck out there. I'm in here. And we see that for all that she's been handling it really well and helping Mara and just being very take charge, she's actually really overwhelmed and anxious. Yeah, this is this is the point where we really see her lose it. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way when I say that. We all have those moments where we just need to vent. I know I definitely call you enough, Katie. Um <laughs> And it was, it was, it's healthy, like the way she does it and stuff. And when she actually lays it all out, like everything that's happened in just six chapters, which is seven chapters, I guess, and 193 pages for me, it's a lot. Like it's a ton. And I will say, I love it. She goes, I'm saddled with a two-legger who won't go home when she's only in the way. I'm running from Stormwings, Horrocks, and Coldfangs. And the horse lord knows what else. I'm cold and I'm hungry and tired and I have squirrel feet. Definitely done this where I'm like, everything is terrible right now. Here's all the reasons why. It's not just one thing. I hate it. Mm-hmm. It's the weight. It's it really like it all just gets weighted on, weighted on. It's the straw that broke the camel's back. And happily, the poor badger, not the poor badger, the badger takes ease on Dane and blows on her feet and hands and returns them back to normal. (laughs) So she's like, thank you. And then the badger very politely, because I think you can tell at this point she's overwhelmed, just goes, okay, think about like, just do what you do, but do it opposite, which to me would be super confusing and you'll return back to normal. Just remember who you are. All right, Lion King. (laughs) <laughs> remember who you are badger snuggles mm-hmm. and the badger basically tells her you were brought here for a reason and you know there's a reason you can both talk to humans immortals and the people and he goes on to say that there is a plan like there is a plan which i know we had discussed if kind of all of this had been put in place by the gods this was book one conversation if they had kind of done all of this to her to make certain things happen. And he says, no, yeah, this, this is a, like, this is a plan. You were brought here for a reason. And she goes, no, I was brought here by Brokefang. And she, (laughs) this is so screwed up. He goes, who do you think told Brokefang to invite you here? (laughs) And she goes, I don't know. And he goes, old white told him to come get you or to go like ask for you. So we see the co- the gods, minus the badger, we see the gods like dipping their hands in and kind of getting things nice and dirty. So it's not only Dane's fault that Broke Fang is learning faster. Exactly. I think she kind of acts it as a conduit, but like it's not entirely her fault. Discuss that she, again, we've discussed she only has so much control over the wild magic. And so she can't be held responsible for what the wild magic does through her. But we see it's being pushed by the wolf god by the badger god at this point and she's supposed to be this bridge she is connecting immortals animals and humans which is a lot for a 14 year old as she tells us that somebody you know and part of it is she her job as a 14 year old is to put this valley back in order to make it a place where humans immortals and the people can live together and in peace and harmony and she says, I'm 14, only 14, the opposite of the Little Mermaid who wanted more responsibility, not less. How do I set everyone to right? Get someone big, get someone older. And the badger kindly says, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> it has to be her. She's got the tools. She's the only one with the tools. Mm-hmm. And then he says, so hurry yourself up or unless you're going to be here for the big cold. 
<laughs> and then I like, he's like, also, what do you think about storm wings? And she's like, I hate them, too. <laughs> the badger's like, um, they're really not that bad. Get used to storm wings. Storm wing counter number four, Dane, learn more patience. <laughs> yeah, why is everyone I meet defending them? And then I love how she, she talks about Rick Ash not being able to get Mara to go back. And he's like, they sound almost like real people, not monsters. <laughs> so I don't know if that counts as number five or not, but everyone is telling Dane, you know, be nice to Storm Wings. I think once you get to four, you can stop counting. She's been told enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so at the end, she's happy and she's like, thanks, Badger. And he's like, well, stop feeling sorry for yourself. And then he glares at Flicker and goes, what are you looking at, Nibbler? And I love Flicker. Badgers. They always have to be wiser and grumpier than everyone else. I like how for Flicker, it's not like, like he just met a god. And he's like, eh, <laughs> whatever. He's just grumpy and tries to be wiser. Nah. <laughs> oh, we have an actual chapter break thing here. These don't happen very often. But Dane goes to sleep. We get a little chapter break signal. And then in the morning, we find out the next day dawns, and they're going to travel back to the cave and then head back to the other end of the valley so they can count those soldiers. Mm -hmm. So they go back, and they get. And Mara's like, I'm so glad you're back. And Dane's like, I was gone one night. How bad are the wolves? And Taka tells on them, like, Frostbear keeps growling. They kind of nip at her if she goes in the wrong direction. So, but Mara's trying to put on a brave face. She's like, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about me. I'm a very responsible 10-year-old. You don't need to send me back. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. But she does want to come with her. She's like, yeah, I can come with you. It'll be fine. I, you know, you need somebody to write for you. So I can write and keep numbers. There you go. And Taka really does take pity on her because Dane's like, no, 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 you can't come. We have no horse. We have, like, there's no way you can make it. I can't call your horse back. And Taka's like, no, nah, I'll carry her. It'll be fine. You can ride on my back. And then look, Kit fits in the pouch. Kane <laughs> is like, can you even run? And <laughs> like, I will worry about that. If we get behind, I promise we will stay behind. <laughs> and then lo and behold, he not only keeps up, he surpasses Dane in Cloud. I do love... Dane is like, even if you could carry both, which I doubt you couldn't keep up, he says, I do not see how so young a mortal came to believe she knows all there is to be known of immortals. I would not offer if I felt I could not do it. Say it with me, teenager. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they travel and yeah, he keeps up. It's great. And they find this place to stop. And um, it's a good place within Dane's range to send Flicker. And as they're on this ridge, they can look back and see the mines, and they see all the ogres that are working in thick mud alongside humans, with overseers cursing those who fell. And it's such a bleak picture, this slave operation where they're mining. Yeah, and, and we get a, well, I was going to say, we get a young moment for Mara, who says, these poor ogres are ugly. And it's one of those, you don't care that they're slaves. You don't care that they're skinny. You don't care, you know, all this stuff. You care that they're ugly. And points out, we probably look ugly to them. Like, we look pretty weird. And then Mara's like, don't you hate the ogres? And I feel like this is kind of the Stormwing counter where they're, like, showing where Dane can be compassionate to other immortals. Because Dane says, it's not so bad. We don't always fight them. They just don't understand our laws. 
And I wonder, if humans didn't attack and tried to be nice, maybe ogres wouldn't be so nasty? So she's trying to apply what the badger's been teaching. Mm-hmm. About tolerance. This feels important. I was going to say elephants think we're cute. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Elephants think humans are cute. They, like, react in the same way humans react to puppies and kittens. <laughs> I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. It's great. <laughs> so Dane gets Blicker and he's like, or she's like, yo, let's go. And Taka says, all right, I'm going to watch the little ones. Cool. And they go on a squirrely adventure, literally. Poor Flicker, he's scared of the dark. This is probably like a little bit better than the last one, <laughs> even though he has to run around in the dark. She makes him, because there's not a whole bunch of trees, because they're obviously in the, the what, what are they called? Tree cutters area. He, she makes him stay low to the ground and stuff like that so he can stay out of the way. They come across the Horrocks stall and she is very happy because since it's a dreary, rainy day, they're probably not going to be out in the sky because flying things and water is not a good mix. And poor, yeah, poor Flicker. He's so afraid of the sun going down. The sun is going, the squirrel replied. I'm afraid we have to let it go, she said as kindly as possible. And so they get into the command room there and she's like, soldiers are the best. Everything's so neat and tidy. Look, there's a roster on this whiteboard too, or this chalkboard. (laughs) And here we have 40 soldiers, four sergeants, four corporals, and one captain. And this is the older fort. Um, They make it a point to say the other one's made out of newer wood. So this is probably, and I actually was wrong, they're allowed 40 men-at-arms, not 30. So this is probably the original home. This is where soldiers were supposed to be. This is how many you were supposed to have. Um, I don't know how many they have up at the castle. A lot of nobles wouldn't want many soldiers in the castle because if the soldiers rebelled, the noble could still defend the castle with maybe their own body servants. So it kind of depends on how much you trust your soldiers. But we now know they have at least 70 just plain soldiers in this valley with another seven sergeants, seven corporals, and two captains. So that brings us up to 88 total. And I was thinking about it, and I think it was standing army. They could only have 40. But I think that the guard wouldn't count towards that. Right. Yeah, I can see that. I just double-checked, and I remembered. I wrote down 40 men here. Yeah. So did they did they, they mention earlier how many guards they had? They didn't mention in the castle. I believe they walked past two when they entered, and there was Tate in the room, but I don't think they mentioned any others. Okay. Gotcha. So, so. as they run back, poor Flicker, who's scared of the dark, squeaks at every owlbear and bush because they think it here he she he i don't know it thinks it's a dog <laughs> i don't remember the gender of the squirrel i'm really sorry and he runs up to cloud and is like i was terrified this was so scary and cloud's basically sitting there giving him a hard time and dane goes back into her own body and aaron what does dane look like dane is shrunk and dane. looks closer to the size of a squirrel he's tiny with gray, soft gray hair around her and stuff like that. And everything's gigantic. Which, if I was Mara, I don't know if this would be like an adorable sight or a terrifying sight, but I'd be kind of excited to see it. <laughs> Two monstrous shapes move just outside the shelter's door from Dane's perspective, which would be a little freaky. Mm-hmm. But no, it's just Mora and Taka. Yep. Um, Dane... You, um, you shrank. No, Dane said. 
It came out as angry squirrel chatter. <laughs> Which would have been great. Sorry. This is really terrible. As an adult, I can laugh at this. As a kid, I'd be really frustrated. Well, and then I think it's interesting. She has a hard time remembering who Dane the human is. Like, it's mm-hmm. easier for her to remember being a bat or a wolf. So in a way, we see that that's more comfortable for her to be with the animals, to be in the animal skin. And so in order to get back to who she is, she pictures that white core and she pictures Numair. And then she starts thinking of all her people, the people she cares about and the animals she cares about, um, the homes she's had. And I like that because it kind of highlights the fact that we are our people, right? Like we are... So much of our identity is tied in the people around us, our family, our friends, our homes, our pets. That is at its core what we would save, you know. Which makes right now so much for more difficult for everyone mm-hmm. not being able to, to be with our people. Yeah, it's I came back to being basically by myself again. And it's been honestly, it's going on two weeks. And it's been kind of miserable. Like, I've been scratching at the walls. I've got one more week before I decide what's going to happen travel-wise, if I'm going to stay here, if I'm going to go and be with people, essentially. So, it's... And Dane, we kind of get... I don't know. To me, it was a reminder of how far she's come and the people that she's kind of had in her life. Because she was really lonely before this. I love she says, so that's who I am pleased to have so much that was good in her human life. So Dane really has got a really great new life, and now she's going to fight to preserve it. We'll come back and figure out what happens next in Chapter 8 next week. I do have a little section I want to do. Okay. Aaron, what do you think is going to happen? Because I haven't read ahead yet. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Putting you on the spot. (laughs) Honestly, I think there's going to be a lot more wolf shenanigans and them doing a lot more subterfuge and reconnaissance because from what from earlier in the book, Numer actually gives a timeline of here's when I can get help. Otherwise, we're by Um, which is going to be a week to 10 days. So it's it's going to be a while. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's going to be a lot more subterfuge, a lot more soiling of the supplies. Do you think they're going to from from there? They might hopefully speed past some of that and get to the action but yeah there so you're saying there's going to be a lot more like guerrilla warfare kind of with the wolves and stuff right okay okay i'm just well i guess we'll see if you're right next week <laughs> i'm just i've got like evil hands i'm like ha ha, ha. <laughs> and my book recommendations for this week books i thought about in chapter six i thought about Catherine called birdie by karen cushman as well as Elizabeth I, The Royal Diaries by Catherine Lasky. I was particularly thinking about the mummers and mummery um, and that kind of court spectacle. I don't know if there's actually any mummying in Catherine Called Birdie, but it's a fantastic book um, set in medieval England about a middle daughter who does not want to do what's expected of her. And it's told in a journal entry form, and she's just super spunky and fun. For books, or chapter seven, I thought about the Redwall books. Um, especially when Dane was being the squirrel, because for all that red wall has a lot of anthropomorphism in it, it did have some very fun animal behaviors. And then when they were talking about the ogres might think that humans are funny looking, that made me think of Gail Carson Levine's book, Ferris. Ferris is actually set in the same universe as Ella Enchanted, 
and it's Gail Carson Levine's take on Snow White. And we have a race of dwarves who think humans look funny and weird. They are too tall and too skinny, and they cannot see the most beautiful color on the color spectrum. So, Ferris is my book recommendation for Chapter 7. I mean, humans do look... <laughs> we make... Dwarves, we do. Animal, like, we make zero sense. <clears throat> but we have big brains. Our whole bodies are developed to help our brains. Really. Yeah, accurate. If you listen to Lost World, <laughs> they talk about that. <laughs> I, can, I can bring all of this back to Jurassic Park. I really can. You do that next time because it's late now. We need to head out. Um, but you can catch up with us. We are Mages of the Air. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We have a nifty website. And if you would like to support the show financially, we definitely appreciate that. You can find us on Patreon, on uh, iTunes. We would love it if you'd stop and leave us a review. Those five-star reviews really help us reach out, add to our community. We got one last week. Thank you, Jim. And we've actually seen our visibility on iTunes shoot through the roof. So if you can take a minute, even if you listen on Spotify or Anchor FM, and just pop over to iTunes and leave a quick five-star review. Um, and then if you want to send us a comment on the website, we'd love to hear from you. So I'm Katie. And I'm Tracy. Sorry, <laughs> this is just a reminder next week we will be covering chapters 8 and 9 probably maybe just 8 we haven't quite decided yet go ahead and read chapters 8 and 9 and as always welcome to Tortal. Tall